right, here we go. Episode 19 here on the Announcer Schedules podcast. Mike and Phil are back, and this week we're talking to ESPN's Carl Ravitch, who, of course, has been calling this Phillies Braves series, but he has been a main force of the ESPN Sunday Night Baseball all season long. He has been uh, with decades, three decades of Major League Baseball coverage with the network, and he joins us this week on the Announcer Schedules podcast. Hey, Carl, what's going on, buddy? Mike and Phil, pleasure to be on with you. Good to be back in the city. Appreciate the recognition of the 30 years at the Worldwide Leader. It's uh, It's been a fascinating, interesting run. We went through all the Phillies ups and downs. Got a chance to work with your boy, John Cruck, for a long time. He's my guy, one of the greats. And uh, and it's just neat to be back in a city that has as much passion for sports as, as any. I grew up in Massachusetts, just outside of Boston, so I know what it's like. And you know, we're looking for the Phillies and the city to get on a run like uh, Boston's been on the last uh, few years. Well, uh, just full disclosure, I had Carl on my radio show on Friday, so we'll get a quick little quip on this. Being in these playoffs, getting the chance to kind of be back in Philadelphia where it's going to be electric, but uh, just kind of, you know, uh, being back doing these baseball playoffs, which have been really cool. I mean, uh, the weekend you had last week, and now you got some great matchups. you got division rivalries here. Uh, so baseball back for you, Carl, and you're working with Tim Kirkchen. Yeah, which is a treat. I mean, he's my best friend there. He's been that way for a long time. We, we've done years and years and years of baseball tonight's together. If I listed every analyst I've worked with this episode, this podcast would would be not only podcast 19, it'd be 20, <laughs> 21, 22, and 23. But he, it's great to be with him. Um, I remember 08 and the series and the weather and going out to eat. I think we went out to eat on some ship that was stocked somewhere, which I don't even know the name of, but I, I have that recollection sitting in the dugout with Peter Gammons, and it was freezing and raining and, and awful, but it's uh, – it's a phenomenal, passionate, and I worked in Harrisburg, so we used to roll down the, uh, we used to roll down here and cover the Phillies opening day, et cetera. So I'm, I'm pretty Pennsylvania centric for a kid that grew up in Massachusetts. Carl, you know, you mentioned three decades. You've been there since '93, but you really jumped into that baseball tonight role in '95. So kind of talk about getting that baseball tonight and kind of being so associated with ESPN's baseball, leading you to where you're calling these games. So you're, you know, you're doing the studio. Sunday night baseball, playoff baseball, playoff, play-by-play. How did you become so associated with ESPN's baseball coverage? Uh, good question. I mean, I had done Sports Center. I got there in 93 and uh, was hired to do those overnight Sports Center shows. And again, I had come right from Harrisburg. So the trip from Harrisburg to ESPN was, was somewhat unique. But in getting there, I ended up working with a guy named Craig Kilborn. I don't know, if Phil, if Mike, if you remember, you remember Killer. But I used to work with Killer overnight. Um, and that was a unique experience for sure. I remember probably a month into it going into a man named Steve Anderson's office. He was in charge and saying, Steve, Steve, uh, I'm not sure this is working out. Like, I don't, I don't quite get any of the things that Kilborn is referring to. Uh, there's this poo Richardson obsession he has. It's a little confusing to me. Uh, and to his credit, Steve said, you know what, Ravi, just be patient. Let's see what happens. And, and it turned out to be you know, a phenomenal uh, dynamic. It was a bit of a Felix and Oscar thing. I was the straight guy. He was the funny guy. He uh, he, he went on to, you know, a daily show and movies, et cetera. He had, he had a lot of other aspirations and scratches that uh, he wanted to itch, and he did. So after, a, you know, getting there in 93, 95, that Baseball Tonight show became a, 
a bigger thing, seven nights a week, two, two shows every night. Uh, and it, and it got you off of a scripted show, which is really what I loved about it. It became a show in which there was no script, you know, somebody would hand you a rundown and the producer would be in your ear and you would sit there with uh, Harold Reynolds and Peter Gammons and gosh, Roy Smalley and Mike McFarland. I mean, people that you, nobody would remember were ever on the show who were on the show, but it was, you know, in the beginning, it was me and Harold and Peter for a long time that, that, that set the stage for the rest of the career is this working with analysts is no script. Um, you know, and I, I stayed on sports center for years when the baseball season ended and subsequently moved into college basketball, play by play and the little league world series and the college world series. And, Look, I, I've been incredibly fortunate in that ESPN has been willing to allow me the opportunity to do other things. And and calling baseball from baseball tonight was one of them. But when you're sitting in that studio, you know, from 95 until really the the landscape changed and all these regional sports networks showed up, we, we were it. You know, 98 home run derby, we were it. That, that was every night, 1030 and midnight. What did McGuire and Sosa do? What's Bonds doing in 01? They, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Texas Rangers, the Dodgers. They, the baseball fan, after watching their local game, saw that station that they were watching go to alternative programming. Where the heck am I getting my baseball highlights? Where am I following and finding out? And we benefited. You know, we 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 took off. We. It's been said by many people in baseball that uh, following the strike. You know, the two things that really kept them interested in the sport were the home run race and baseball tonight. And that's, uh, you know, when you're doing it, you never think like that. But that's certainly something that people said because that was their nightly connection. And Carl, reflecting back on the 90s and 1998 in particular, on a very serious and, and personal note, a heart attack at the young age of 33 and you yeah. know obviously a life changer for yourself but i know for the better you know it's turned into a blessing and in, in that you've changed your lifestyle and things like that can you reflect that back on that for our listeners and also you know how the the road has evolved from there uh sure yeah absolutely i was uh i was called one morning in uh in 1998 to go play basketball with a bunch of espn guys i said sure i'd love to go play um you know, going back a little further, I'd always been a, an athlete in high school. I played basketball. I played baseball. I played soccer. I played tennis. I played anything. I was always outside. I was always playing. And I found that once I got to college, I got more involved with, with the radio and television. I went to Ithaca College. And anytime there was an opportunity to play a game, I played a game. But I never worked out religiously. I used to think that, oh, sports is how I work out. I'll, I'm able to go run and, and play. So I, I went to this basketball court played uh bill pito and a whole bunch of other guys were there i don't know if people who are familiar with the podcast are familiar with pito but he and i worked together in binghamton new york uh in ithaca new york before that and uh he and i were playing with a whole bunch of other guys and i i, I got this pain in my chest and this this tingling in my arm and so i said i just got to sit down for a few minutes but it started to occur to me uh that pain in the chest and tingling in the arm is not a good combination and I said to Bill, can you just drive me to the hospital? Let's just let's just get this thing checked out. And, you know, lo and behold, we are at the bottom of the hill at this Yukon Health Center. The light turns red and I, I blacked out. Um, and I remember that vividly because thankfully I woke back up. 
And I said, I think we got to drive quicker. You know, whatever's going on, we got to we got to expedite the, this trip. And got into the ER, and they said you're having a heart attack. And you know, oddly enough, I said, well, let's fix it. I, I mean, this is the place to be if you're going to have a damn heart attack. You're in a hospital. Let's let's get in and fix it. And thank God they did. Uh, and after that, to your point, Phil, I, you know, I, I started to exercise daily. You know, probably over the top in 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 the initial months after and years after and half marathons and change the eating habits, et cetera. So yeah, it was in the end, as you said, it was the, it was the luckiest thing that ever happened. And it came as a result of genetics and the hours of working and the food that you were eating and a lack of a daily exercise plan, stress and anxiety had, you know, had a lot, there's a whole bunch of factors that went into it. But the point is, yes, it happened. And, and it's been, it's been something that we haven't revisited since. Uh, as I said, I did all that exercise and the cardiologist used to say, you're, you're in as good a shape as many of the, you know, the athletes that we see from UConn. So it, 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 thank, thank goodness it worked out. Thanks, Carl, for sharing that with us. And it, it's inspiring for, for all of us in the, in the sports media business to, to hear that story. I really appreciate it. Now, sure. bringing us to the, to the present, you know, this year, this Sunday night baseball package, yourself, Eduardo Perez, David Cohn, Buster Olney reporting, um, just a fantastic crew. Now that the season's done and the, the package is complete, can you reflect back on this year and what that's meant? Yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, that was an amazing uh, experience. I remember the phone call, like sort of confirmation. Yes, this is going to be the team. Uh, the last piece that came together was Coney, uh, and I certainly was supportive of it. You know, Eduardo and Tim Kirchin and I, certainly during the pandemic and for two or three years, we did games together. So we had established a terrific chemistry and, and like each other and, and love each other and got along and understood each other and the sense of humor, all of those things. And, and now we're, we're putting Cohn into the position that Tim sat in, and we certainly are appreciative of everything that Tim did, but recognize this is a five-time World Series winning pitcher. You know, you love the dynamic of a pitcher. It's it's wonderful. Um, the Baseball Tonight experience, having sat with pitchers, with position players, with managers, um, general managers, they all bring a different, unique perspective. Having a, a pitcher like that, who's, who in my opinion is a, a Hall of Fame pitcher, uh, is only going to make the broadcast better. Subsequently, this is the first time the three of us ever worked together. And I know that from their perspective, and certainly from mine, um, getting along was the easy part. You know, figuring out what each is going to say, when they're going to say it. It flowed very, very easily. Cone came with experience from, yes, network uh, with the Yankees, but other broadcasting experience. Eduardo is as good as anybody at, uh, at television and pivoting from a conversation about uh, airports to... Oh, did you see what he did there? He choked up on the bat. He, and, and it's amazing how he can just take a right turn when you're going straight down a road and get you back on uh, the part of the game that we need to focus on there. So total success, my, uh, Phil and Mike, from a first-year perspective, knowing that since it's the first year and you got to know him, by the end it was just a different dynamic, a different relationship than in the beginning. And it's only going to get better, you know, as the years go on. But it was it was a real treat. And and you get to learn a lot about, you know, your teammates when you're flying with them and traveling with them and eating with them and all those all those wonderful things. So it was it was a it's an honor to sit there. It's a real uh, a real unique experience. And again, for ESPN to 
to give me that opportunity. I couldn't be more grateful. Yeah, and talk about that, Carl, because we talk about baseball tonight. Studio show as opposed to doing play-by-play. Uh, was play-by-play something that you yearned to do? Or did they kind of say, hey, are you in? Like, you know, the difference between being a studio host and doing the play-by-play, uh, that, that there is a huge dynamic difference there. Yeah, you know, there is, um, and there isn't. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest. I had done play-by-play uh, through my collegiate years. The play-by-play was actually before I did any studio stuff. So the play-by-play stuff was already a box that had been checked off. Um, and the Little League and college had always been there as well. So this sort of concept of you're the studio guy who's moved into play-by-play, I had I had been doing play-by-play for a long, long, long time. This isn't like year one play-by-play. I will say that the that the – evolution of broadcasting in my opinion um is such that people i mean you, you look at look at these new manning casts and k-rod casts and alternative broadcasts um many of them are rooted in the concept of let's let's converse let's all get together bounce ideas off of each other um and i think anybody that that compares studio guy to play-by-play guy and has a problem with it uh, misses misses the boat terribly because it implies that there is no play-by-play going on, and that's that's an enormous insult to the play-by-play guy who has covered sports at ESPN for 30 years and knows the difference between when we need to call play-by-play and when we need to engage in conversation with Coney or Eduardo or Jimmy Dykes or Jay Billis or Dick Vitale, like. That's dismissive of the ability to recognize. And uh, so I I think that the person who does play by play and comes from a studio is is as equipped, if not more so than those that have just been strict play by play guys, because I think engaging with the analysts is an enormous part of of a successful play by play analyst relationship. Carl, one of the more unique things, I guess, is doing play-by-play for the Little League World Series. I mean, these are kids you have no idea who they are, uh, but what a fun week. Talk a little bit, go back to your time doing that, because, you know, it really consumes the summer for that week where where you're doing these games, and these kids, is uh, your role with doing those games and how great it was for these kids to be a part of it. Right. Well, I mean, you know, you you in your question said it's it's such a fun event, and there's no doubt. Uh, As events go, it is by far the most fun event that I've done in 30 years. It's not close. Um, Your other point, which is absolutely relevant, and I hear it from people all the time, you know, since we started watching television, reality TV has become a thing. You know, I mean, it has become a huge thing. Reality TV has always been sports, and binge watching is another thing that people do now all the time. The Little League World Series is binge watching for, as you said, 10 days in the summer. Uh, I can't tell you how many men and women and old men and older women and kids turn on the television for that period of time every night and they watch. And then they start to kind of get hooked into it doesn't matter if it's a team or if it's a kid. They just get hooked. And I again, the number of folks who who on Saturday uh, wonder, well, where is it at night? Oh, it's on during the day. And then Sunday is the Little League World Series championship, and there's no game at night. And then Monday you flip the television on, and you're like, where are these kids? 
and they're they're gone. They're back in school, and it it is absolutely binge watching reality TV, uh, and it doesn't come with uh, with any drama. It doesn't come with with any plots. There's no murders. There's no crime scene. <laughs> there's no CSI. It's it's just literally uh, little league baseball. And it's played by players who play at the highest level. I'm reminded every year you go, you're like, my God, these kids are fantastic baseball players. Um, it's it's a blast for 10 days every summer. And the people that are involved in that program, from the producers to Julie Foudy to everybody, it's all context. It's all perspective. David Ross, who, of course, is a World Series champion and manager of the Cubs, uh, is one of many major leaguers who have participated in it that way. And bar none, we'll tell you it's the best thing they've ever done. Uh, really cool experience. Full disclosure, by the way, I managed a team that won the Babe Ruth World Series. Not oh, quite the coverage that uh, the Little Leaguers right, get, but right, they were right, 13 right. years old. They're that very next year. But I just know what goes into being away for 10 days and the stories that come out meeting these families. It's almost like you're watching the Olympics, you know? You're, you're meeting right. these families yeah. and these athletes. It's, it's so well done. Uh, and all of us are sitting in our hotel watching all these 13 year olds are in marvel of these 12 year olds it's a really cool right. dynamic and it's great That's um great. carl most people recognize you baseball tonight but I, I do remember you following tiger woods for a time and what that was like to kind of follow him on that path to the grand slam i think that was like 2000 i was in college yeah, right around exactly. then um so if you can kind of finish up by taking us through that moment of following greatness tiger woods going for yeah. that grand slam yeah, so we had, um, I don't know if you remember, but there was there was back in the late 90s a fall sort of season to the PGA Tour. It was after the final major. You know, it involved places like the Texas Valero Open, the Canadian Open. There was a whole bunch of, of tournaments that came after the last major. And ESPN at that point had the rights to – the fall season. So, and I, and I was the main play-by-play -play guy again, play-by-play -play for all four rounds of these fall golf tournaments. They would have excellent players, but the fields were limited in, in the depth of the great players, but it was a great experience. And um, subsequently, because I was the voice of golf, this was before my buddy Scott Van Pelt showed up at ESPN. And obviously he is a great golf voice. Um, I was doing it and Mike Tirico was there and, and he was doing it. And we would, we would also then in the winter have the, uh, the season opening, what was then called the Mercedes championship. So we would always go to Hawaii, the greatest gig on the planet in the middle of the winter, you're leaving Connecticut, you were going to Hawaii. And then we cover the Sony open the week after. And you realize like I have died and gone to heaven. I'm going to Kapalua on Maui and we're covering the Mercedes championship and the Sony open the next week. Um, so the, the woods dynamic, the golf relationship was there. And, and then in 99 and 2000, he, he never lost. Um, you know, was it was at St. Andrews uh, and was working with ESPN and ABC and was the first to interview Tiger after he had he had now had all four trophies. He had completed the career Grand Slam and remember watching him walk up 18 and over the bridge. And then the fan base that was there would walk not over the bridge. They would literally go into the berm and walk through the water and follow him up uh, the fairway on 18. So 
yes, there's yes, there's a uh, a creek. We're going to walk right through it. We're going to then walk to the other side and follow this guy up. Um, so I was I was fortunate enough to cover the 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 Tiger prime years. He he missed every bunker in four days at St Andrews. You can't do that. Uh, you, you could never replicate that again by mistake. The ball's going into those bunkers. In four rounds, he didn't get into one of them. What he did at Pebble Beach in 2000 was embarrass the field. We got Phil, Mike, we would go to these events and we would always at the majors interview the other players on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. It became so routine to say, how does, how do you beat Tiger? Is this a Tiger proof course? Who's going to finish second? The players all knew it. They, they were reverential in the things they said. They were probably frustrated as hell. They couldn't beat this guy. Um, but, you know, think about Barry Bonds and what he did just as far as dominating a sport in that 2001 season. What Tiger Woods did uh, in that 99 to 2000 period was go, show up, and like Larry Bird would ask at a three-point shooting contest, who's finishing second? <laughs> and the... The answer may change, but it's because we all knew who was going to finish first. It was it was a most dominating period by an individual that I've ever you know that I've ever seen, and I was in a front row seat for it. Uh, we'll finish up on this: Ithaca College, Binghamton, Harrisburg, Carl Ravitch. What would you say was your big break? Many of our guests here tell us. You know, ah, they called me and asked me to do a sport I've never done before, and I accepted that, and someone heard me. Where would you say was your big moment or that, that moment for you where you crossed over from local television to ESPN? Uh, that's a good one. I, you know, I, if I, when I write the book, there's probably going to be about three or four of those moments. Um, I'll, I'll be brief, but, but you, I go back to when I was sitting in Ithaca College, they opened up this tiny local cable station in Ithaca, New York. It was called Cable News Center 7. Uh, and they advertised at Ithaca and Cornell University, which is in Ithaca, New York, for people, and they knew clearly that Ithaca had a tremendous broadcasting, sports, TV, news anchor program. Ithaca was known for its TV radio program. So was Syracuse. But Cable News Center 7 was, you know, an hour and a half from Syracuse. You're not going to get a Syracuse student to come down. So in any event, they hung up a sign in the Dillingham Center, which was the communications building at Ithaca. And they were offering internships for people that would want to come down and anchor the sports, anchor the news, the weather. I'd already done my internship uh, at Channel 5 in Boston. So I was out of credits, if you will, that you could get from an internship. Thankfully, this wonderful uh, woman who ran the TV department, her name was Kathy Mahoney, figured out a way to allow me to get credits for this possible internship i went down there and i i auditioned and i became the weekend sports anchor there bill pito was the weekday sports anchor at the same time um he left i became the weekday guy that was that was one break um i was working in binghamton new york and i was the weekend guy there bill pito was the weekday guy there bill pito left binghamton I thought, this is my big break. I'm going to become the weekday guy in Binghamton, New York. That's my big break. And the news director at the time and the station was located in the building at the bottom of a nursing home. That's where the studio was. Took me outside and said, uh, 
we love what you do. We think you're really talented. We really love your reporting. We're going to bring somebody else in to be the weekday sports anchor. And I, and that was an absolute blow. Like, wait a minute. I, I, I put in my time. I, I want to be the weekday guy. Long story short, I uh, instead of giving up and quitting, I, I started to move around different parts of of New York, uh, upstate New York. I'll visit anywhere I may get a job because i got to get the hell out of here. This isn't going to work. Um, went up to Rochester, New York, met a news director there. He didn't have an opening, but his best friend was the sports uh, director in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. When Harrisburg, Pennsylvania had a sports opening, Greg Mace, who's the name of the guy, called his buddy in Rochester and said, you know anybody that can fill the, our weekday weekend position? And Steve Hamill said, yes, Carl Ravitch. See if, see if you can interview him. I went down to Harrisburg. I got that job, stayed there from 90 to 93. And that's what led to the, uh, led to the ESPN job. And the ESPN job in itself was classic. I did an audition. I finished second in the audition. The guy that finished first could not take the job. He was committed to his other job, which was calling play-by-play for the Toronto Blue Jays. You know who that is? Uh, Shulman. Dan Shulman. So Shulman auditions at the same time I do. He can't take that job. I get the job at ESPN. <laughs> Those are the four or five biggest breaks that, that led to where we are today. There you go. Uh, Carl Ravitch. You've, you've read the book now. <laughs> uh, he's on the call for Phillies Braves and that series this weekend, Friday, Saturday, hopefully not Sunday if you're a Phillies fan, uh, but that would be game number five. And uh, he was kind enough to join us right here on the announcer schedule. Let me just re- let me just reverse this is because I, you know, because I am a studio guy, too, as well as a play by player. Mike, you tell me first and then you fill. What did you think of the Sunday night booth? Oh, I love Cone. I'm a big fan of Dave. I think he does a good job uh, in terms of just kind of uh, being personable. He's got good stories. Right. You mentioned Perez. I've enjoyed his. He is so intricate with some of the stuff that he brings to the table. Uh, very good flow. And, and you know, I f- feel like um, as you – I've done a lot of play-by-play as well, as you mentioned. We do so much play-by-play, and there's jobs that are not out there. So you do more play-by-play in college, and then they're not there anymore. It's hard to keep switching people. And you kind of notice as the season goes on, you only work with them one day a week. But you get that familiarity as the season goes on. So it felt like as the season was kind of coming to the close, you guys were having a lot of fun. And I even heard you kind of mention in the last Sunday game something to Cone, like, are you coming back next year? And you're thinking, wait a second, of course you got to be, because you guys are just kind of hitting your stride right now. Right, exactly. Thank you. How about you, Phil? Yeah, I I enjoy just the kind of the veteran presence throughout the entire crew you have there you know whether it's buster on the sidelines um yeah. david and and ed with yourself of course who's been around so long now the mic'd up uh stuff with the players took a little bit of an adjustment for me you know my first reaction was how in the world can they be part of the broadcast while they're actually right. live playing the game how can you do two things at once and um it you know once i saw it kind of play out a little bit i i did get used to it but that is still kind of pretty novel altogether yeah well that happened carl i don't know if you remember you were on the radio with me at that point because you had the phillies and you had harper and then then you had lindor i think uh right after that and it was you know there was a play that lindor had the ball hit to him as you were kind of talking to him yeah yeah, he had, a hard, he had a hard ground ball hit to him, and he made the play. And as he said, thank God I made the play. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's interesting, too, before we go. It, it, that has evolved so much that towards the end of the season, 
it, it was not necessarily the most important thing because it was so novel in the beginning. It was like, who are we going to have? This is so critical. And, and it became part of the fabric of the telecast. And it, and it was just at the end of the year, it was like, we're going to have them for three outs. It's going to be great. And then we move on to the next. It felt like such a focus in the beginning and it worked so well. And the players, to their credit, were all unbelievable. But by the end, it wasn't like, oh, my God, we're dead. We don't have a player like we've like to your point, Mike, the, the, the broadcast itself had evolved so much that sort of this dependence on this new aspect wasn't nearly it didn't feel nearly as critical as it did in the beginning so I, i'm sure we'll continue it next year i think the players actually enjoyed it we certainly know to stay out of their way but <laughs> but as it turned out we found out it's not necessarily the superstar on the team that's going to be the best guest and uh that Always. was another aspect that i think the players appreciate yeah doesn't matter if you're the number three hitter or the ace pitcher we're we want to learn about you. We want to introduce you, you know, help help spread your brand out there, and the players took to it. Yeah, and I think, by the way, real quick on that, Carl, your point earlier about the studio show and the play-by-player, that evolution of how you marry them together to kind of evolve the way the right, broadcast right. happens, you kind of see that in the way that you call that game, setting Cone and Perez up with questions as you're watching the game to let them kind of chew on it as the pictures right. tell the story. So uh, very interesting stuff. Carl Ravitch, our guest here on the Announcers Schedule podcast. And, of course, you can go back to our archives and check out uh, last week Dave Sims, Andrew Catalan, Larry Colmus. I love that conversation with uh, the Kentucky Derby. Roxy Bernstein, Kevin Kugler, Bob Wischusen, and very many others. Carl Ravitch, the latest here on the Announcer Schedules podcast. Carl, thanks so much, man. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. All Thanks, right. Carl. Uh, we'll have another right, guest Phil. next week here on the Announcer Schedule Podcast. Phil, Carl was fantastic. Great stories. I love the Tiger Woods stuff, by the way. Everybody thinks of Carl for the baseball, but the Woods stuff was really interesting. And by the way, full disclosure, he was kind enough to join us on game day. He is calling the Phillies and Braves in a couple of hours from now. So for him to take the time to do that was really cool. Yeah, really appreciate him joining us on on a game day like that. Um, I'm sure you know he he'll be at the stadium and getting prepared there on site before we know it. You know he 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 opened the interview talking about his partner for these ESPN radio games, Tim Kirkjian. Kirkjian, by the way, you know was uh, became a Hall of Famer this summer, so a big year for for Tim. Well deserved. Um, 65 years old now and has been around. And you know uh, Carl talked about how close he and Tim. Um, are and so you know i'm sure that uh shows in the broadcast and you know just um we covered a lot of ground there you know it was, it was really a, a compelling interview as far as his whole story including that heart attack in 1998 at age 33 and i hadn't put two and two together that you know that happened in 1998 which was the year of that big home run race of course and you know probably when baseball tonight was flying at its absolute highest uh with the you know bonds and mcguire and, and sosa story unfolding i mean i remember that year just how baseball tonight was you know required viewing on a nightly basis i mean it was automatic that i would turn tune in with my friends to baseball tonight and see what happened during the day the media landscape was just so different back then compared to now when you know we were taking note of what was going on with Aaron judge, you know, these last few weeks and that kind of thing, but just a whole different scene back then. 
and in many ways a much much bigger story than what we experienced uh this year with Aaron Judge back there in 1998 and then you know Carl has that life-changing event you know the heart attack and great to see that that he's doing so well and healthy and, and able to inspire others in sports media and how important it is to to take care of yourself you know <laughs> in this you know what can be a grueling uh industry at times with some crazy hours and, and that kind of thing and you know and then we brought it to the present and reviewed Sunday night baseball as well. And, you know, uh, cool to hear, you know, kind of some of those inside stories as far as how that's all unfolded. Well, and don't forget uh, Little League. I thought that was really cool. He did the KBO during uh, COVID. You remember that when they fill, uh, the uh, ESPN was airing live KBO games. And uh, I'm imagining he was calling them at 3 o'clock in the morning from his house somewhere uh, with the time differential. We didn't really get deep into the KBO, but the Little League World Series – the Tiger Woods stuff. He has done college basketball. Uh, he did the college basketball studio host uh, for a little while there. He also has done some play-by-play for college basketball. I think he still does some college basketball stuff. And, he, of course, he talked about being the voice of golf for ESPN uh, before Scott Van Pelt. Mentioned Bill Pito, the judge, a few times. Got a couple of uh, comments, uh, name drops there. Yeah, Bill Pito, if if you're wondering what he's up to these days, I'm sure people in the New York City market are well aware, but for for the rest of our listeners, uh, he's been with MSG for quite a long time, uh, and he's a studio host there, uh, I believe, for both the Knicks and the Rangers coverage, so, you know, still a, a prominent role for Bill Pito within, you know, sports broadcasting at the MSG networks. And yeah, just those names, you know, Craig Kilborn and uh, on down the list from those 1990 glory days of Sports Center and Baseball Tonight. Uh, really cool that we got to speak with Carl, who was such a big part of all that. I was a big fan of Kilborn's late night show. Uh, was uh, fantastic. I was a big Kilborn guy back in college. I uh, really enjoyed him on SportsCenter, and I love the fact that he said we were like the odd couple there uh, because Kilborn was a little wacky, man. He was out there and uh, really good stuff. Carl Ravitch, our guest here on the Announcer Schedules podcast. Uh, we do it every week on the Sports Media Watch feed. Rate, review, subscribe. If you like today's episode, uh, tell your friends about it. We do it every week right here. We try uh, to get – Uh, some of the big play-by-players or analysts or studio hosts on the show. We will continue to do so. As I mentioned, Bob Oshusen, Kevin Kugler, Roxy Bernstein, Rick Scott, Larry Comas, Dave Sims, Andrew Catalong, among others. If you missed any of those conversations, they're kind of timeless. You can go back on the Sports Media Watch feed and listen to them. We drop our podcast generally on Thursdays, and uh, we add the interview today. Uh, We're recording this on Friday, game day for Phillies and Braves. Carl Ravitch will call that series. So we'll be back next week with more announcer news right here on the Announcer Schedules podcast, episode 19 in the books. Thanks to Carl Ravitch. Phil, I'm Mike. This has been the Announcer Schedules podcast. Have a great rest of your week, everybody.